0: Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox, here at today's top stories. Ukrainian forces are quickly reclaiming territories as Russian troops pull out. And in one city, Ukrainian officials are saying they found hundreds of executed civilians. Critics are asking whether the Biden family, including President Biden, is compromised by foreign interests. This comes after last week's confirmation of banking transactions between Hunter Biden and companies linked to the Chinese Communist Party. What is the president's stance? More pushback on the Biden administration's lifting of Title 42. Three Republican states are suing to keep the public health policy in place. They argue that Title 42 is the only safety valve preventing an unmitigated catastrophe at the border. Elon Musk reveals he is Twitter's biggest shareholder. News that sends the stock up 25%. What are his plans? A court declares California's law which mandates corporate diversity quotas unconstitutional. Under the law, every board of directors had to have a certain number of minority members. The plaintiffs in the case are calling the court's ruling historic. After Russian forces repositioned their troops away from the Ukrainian capital of Kyiv, Ukrainian forces are quickly moving into the newly unoccupied territories. Now Ukrainian officials are saying when they arrived in the city of Bucha, they found about 300 civilians who were executed. Please note, some viewers may find the following images disturbing.
1: I'm
2: sorry, the tank behind me was shooting. Those dogs. We were sitting in the cellar for two weeks.
1: This gentleman is a resident of Bucha, a city about 20 miles west of Kyiv, the capital of Ukraine. When Ukrainian forces arrived at the once Russian-occupied territory, officials say they found the bodies of about 300 civilians who were executed.
3: Without an exaggeration, uh, by what we've seen in Bucha and vicinity, uh, we can conclude that Russia is uh, worse than
1: ISIS. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky visited Bucha and said this doesn't help talks with Russia to end the war.
2: Each day when our troops advance and deoccupied territories, you can see what is happening. It is very difficult to talk. It is very difficult to negotiate when you see what they did here. Every day we find people in barrels, cellars and anywhere else, some strangled, some clearly tortured.
1: The Russian foreign minister says the images of the dead bodies on the street are fake.
2: The other day, another fake news attack was undertaken in the town of Bucha, in the Kyiv region, after the Russian military had left according to the plans and agreements.
1: Meanwhile, Russian officials continue to accuse the United States of being involved in a military biological program in Ukraine.
4: I recommend everyone to scrutinize these materials. Those are the copies of original documents, contracts, communications between the Ukrainian side and the Pentagon with authentic signatures, project documentation, etc.
1: Deborah Rosenbaum, who is the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Nuclear, Chemical and Biological Defense Programs, said there are unequivocally no offensive biological weapons in the Ukraine laboratories that the United States has been involved with. Both U.S. and Ukrainian officials say the labs seek to prevent bioweapons and pathogens. Jason Perry, NTD News.
0: And after Ukrainian officials held Russian troops responsible for the civilian killings, the U.S. announced its plan to ask the U.N. Human Rights Council to suspend Russia. Once again, the following contains graphic images that may be disturbing to viewers. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. On Monday, Center. the U.S.
5: Ambassador to the United Nations the United said she will ask the General Assembly to suspend Russia from the Human Rights Council. This comes after Ukrainian authorities accused Russian troops of killing 300 civilians in the town of Bucha. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield told Reuters she would seek a vote on the suspension in the General Assembly this week.
6: I'm immediately returning back to New York to do two
7: things. One. I will take this to the Security Council tomorrow morning and address Russia's actions firmly and directly. Two, in close
5: coordination with Ukraine, European countries, and other partners at the UN, we're going to seek Russia's suspension from the UN Human Rights Council. Russia currently, in its second year of a three-year term on the Council, denied the accusations. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov said the reports are fake news, staged by Ukrainian representatives and their Western patrons. Meanwhile, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is calling it a war crime. In her speech in Bucharest, Ambassador Greenfield called Russia's participation on the Human Rights Council a farce and said that Russia should not have a position of authority at the U.N. We cannot
8: let a member state
5: that is subverting every principle we hold dear to continue to sit on the U.N. Human Rights Council. The 193-member assembly in New York can suspend Russia with a two-thirds majority vote. Arlene Richards, NTD
0: News, New York. It was an event dedicated to the universal language of music, the Grammy Awards. And Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky made a surprise video appearance requesting support for Ukraine. NTD's Cheney Wu has more. At the music industry's
9: star-studded Grammy Awards in Las Vegas, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky addressed the audience remotely in an emotional speech pleading for support for his country.
4: What's more opposite to music? The silence of ruined cities and killed people.
9: War broke out in Ukraine over a month ago after Russian military forces invaded, displacing millions of civilians and reducing buildings to rubble.
10: Feel the silence
4: with your music. Feel it today to tell our story. Tell the truth about the war on your social networks, on TV, support us in any way you can, any but not silence.
9: Actor-turned-wartime leader Zelensky has used nightly videos to great effect at home, often appearing unshaven and wearing a t-shirt, also beaming his image directly to parliaments around the world. He's pleaded with allies in speeches at the U.S. Congress, Japanese National Diet, and British and Australian parliaments. Last week, the Academy Awards faced backlash after they denied Zelensky an appearance at the Oscars. Chenny Wu, NTD News.
0: A White House official says that President Biden believes his son didn't break the law. That's after banking transactions between Hunter Biden and Chinese Communist Party-linked companies were confirmed last week. However, critics are asking whether the Biden family, including President Biden, is compromised by foreign interests because of these business ties. And TD's Chenny Wu tells us more. In an interview with ABC News on Sunday,
9: White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain said the president is confident that his son didn't break the law. That's after documents and messages from Hunter Biden's laptop referenced a deal that he pursued with a Chinese Communist Party-linked energy firm, for which he was paid nearly $5 million. This is according to the Washington Post, which hired two security experts to authenticate the laptop. Questions have long been swirling around the Biden family and their ties to businesses in China, Ukraine and other countries. The laptop story was first reported by the New York Post in late 2020, before Twitter, Facebook and other social media companies moved to limit its reach. Twitter locked the New York Post account for more than two weeks, claiming the outlet published hacked material. This was just prior to the 2020 election. The investigation surrounding Hunter Biden's laptop is ongoing. And in the meantime, the Secret Service is keeping Hunter Biden safe in a rented Malibu mansion at $30,000 a month in taxpayer dollars. That's according to an ABC report that cited unnamed sources. NTD is not able to independently verify these claims. And the White House did not respond to requests for comment before airtime. Critics are asking whether the president's son is compromised by foreign entities and whether the president is involved in these dealings. Chenny Wu, NTD News.
0: On Capitol Hill today, lawmakers took a leap forward on Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson's confirmation to the Supreme Court. The Senate faced unexpected delays just ahead of a key vote. NTD's Melina Wisecup has those details. Top Democrat senators today
8: moving quickly to seat President Biden's Supreme Court nominee. The Senate Judiciary Committee voting to move Judge Jackson's confirmation to the floor.
11: She has impeccable qualifications. We don't agree on much in the Senate, but not one senator on this committee has questioned that she is well qualified.
8: But the chairman had to delay the vote after a flight delay. Senator Padilla, one of the 11 Democrats on the 22-member panel, was missing when the vote was originally planned, slowing Democrats' fast-track plan at least for a little while. The flight carrying Senator Padilla to Washington was sent back to Los Angeles because a passenger on his plane had a medical emergency. If the senators moved to vote without Padilla, it would have given Republicans the upper hand, a one-vote advantage over Democrats in the evenly split committee.
6: Someone of her impressive caliber surely
1: has a judicial philosophy, but maybe she just didn't want to talk about it. I will vote no.
8: After reconvening, all Republicans in the committee voted no, forcing Senate Leader Chuck Schumer to call a vote to advance the nomination anyway.
4: Despite Republican opposition, Justice Judge Jackson has enough votes to get confirmed to the Supreme Court on a bipartisan basis.
8: And Senate Leader Chuck Schumer is planning to have this final confirmation vote done by the end of this week. We know of at least one Republican senator so far who's going to join with Democrats in pushing this confirmation quickly over the finish line. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News.
0: Three Republican states have announced they're suing the Biden administration to prevent it from ending Title 42. The Attorneys General of Arizona... Louisiana and Missouri argue that lifting Title 42 was done unlawfully and will have a devastating impact on their states. Title 42 is a Trump-era public health policy which allows for the rapid expulsion of migrants at the border. It was implemented in response to the pandemic. The Biden administration announced Friday that it will, it will terminate the order at the end of May. The lawsuit, first obtained by Fox News, states it challenges the abrupt elimination of the only safety valve preventing this administration's border policies from devolving into an unmitigated catastrophe. The suit further claims the administration failed to account for the costs to the states of lifting the policy. In response to fears of a surge at the border, The DHS secretary said Friday that the department's put in place a comprehensive strategy to manage any increase of migrants. Former presidential candidate Hillary Clinton appeared on NBC over the weekend, but the program's host neglected to ask her about a major development involving her 2016 presidential campaign. Clinton's campaign recently agreed to pay fines after the Federal Election Commission found probable cause that the campaign had violated federal law and its payments to ex-British spy Christopher Steele. The Clinton campaign had paid Steele to compile a dossier which was full of baseless allegations concerning Trump and his alleged links to Russia. During the NBC interview, host Chuck Todd talked about Russia's purported efforts to help Donald Trump in his 2016 campaign, but Todd failed to mention the fines or ask Clinton about them. We reached out to NBC, but they did not respond by airtime. A California court has ruled that the state's law mandating corporate diversity quotas is unconstitutional. The law required corporations to diversify their boards with members from certain racial, ethnic, and LGBT groups.
12: NTD's Grace Coulter has the details. California's corporate diversity quota law has been declared unconstitutional. A state court in Los Angeles made the ruling Friday. Conservative watchdog group Judicial Watch filed a lawsuit over the law on behalf of three California taxpayers in October 2020. The lawsuit argued that spending any taxpayer dollars or resources on the law violates the state's constitutional Equal Protection Clause. While the court agreed with the plaintiff's case, the ruling didn't explain the judge's reasoning. The diversity measure, which was signed into law last year, required that the boards of directors of California-based publicly traded companies satisfy a quota of members from underrepresented communities. This included LGBT, Black, Latino, Asian, Native American and Pacific Islander individuals. Judicial Watch President Tom Fidden commended the ruling, calling it historic. He said in a statement that the decision declared unconstitutional one of the most blatant and significant attacks in the modern era on constitutional prohibitions against discrimination. Judicial Watch is also challenging another California law, which requires a female director on corporate boards. Grace Coulter, NTD News.
0: Elon Musk, the world's richest man, has disclosed that he's now Twitter's largest shareholder. And this comes after he ran a Twitter poll regarding Twitter and free speech. NTD's Colin Frederickson tells us more.
2: Elon Musk has revealed he's Twitter's largest shareholder with a 9.2% stake. And this is happening just a few days after he tweeted about Twitter and free speech.
1: He's a man who in the past has shown that he's not afraid to take his own wealth and to use the expression, put money where his mouth is.
2: Matt Sweetwood is the CEO of Greener Process Systems and a Twitter power user with over 150,000 followers. Sweetwood says Musk will have power over what goes on in the company.
4: At a minimum, it will get him a seat on the board of directors. Having a seat on the board of directors, he now has access to all information, uh, both public and what's uh, privately discussed among um, other board members, and he can have some input over that.
2: Michael Busler is a professor of finance at Stockton University. Busler believes that if Musk were to go for majority ownership, he would do it in stages. He
4: could go in and and, and buy it outright. That would really shake up the stock market, the stock market for uh, Twitter, and it might drive prices uh, possibly uh, way up. I think he's if he's going to get control and do it in. Stages. He doesn't really want to shock the market and cause any real shocks in the price. Jeremy Knopf
2: is the founder of Spartan Media. Knopf says Musk's huge audience will heavily influence the company and the media.
13: When we look at his 9.2% stake in Twitter, that in and of itself, I mean, that's impressive to begin with, but the control that he actually will have is exponentially larger because he has this huge, vocal, and engaged
0: audience.
2: Musk has the eighth largest following on Twitter. Colin Frederickson, NTD News.
0: Coming up, the mayor of New York City reacts to Florida's Parental Rights Act, which he calls the Don't Say Gay Bill. His administration is setting up billboards in Florida, denouncing the law. And kids under the age of five in the Big Apple have to continue wearing masks in school, while older ones don't. The city's health commissioner says these youngsters are the most vulnerable population. That and more on NTD News.
4: Navigating a world of economic madness. You need to have the right guide. What do today's decisions mean for your tomorrow? We ask why. What's the alternative? Uncover the deeper reasons and the hidden influences. And highlight the real opportunities for profit. At Entity Business, we connect the dots for you. Good evening. Thank you very much. Business.
0: New York City Mayor Eric Adams is launching a project to counter Florida's recent parental rights law. His administration is setting up billboards in Florida denouncing the law and calling on LGBT residents to move to the Big Apple. Here are the details.
6: New York City Mayor Eric Adams on Monday denounced Florida's recent Parental Rights in Education Act. The act, which was signed into law last month, bans classroom discussions on sexuality in kindergarten through third grade. The mayor claims that the law is a targeted attack on the LGBTQ plus population
10: and we are going to loudly uh, show our support and say to those who are living in Florida, listen, we want you here in New York, you know, we want you right here in New York City, and it's more than just saying that, it's also standing up and aligning ourselves uh, with the men and women of the LGBTQ plus community.
6: The mayor's administration is setting up digital billboards in five Florida cities. They will carry messages that say, Come to the city where you can say whatever you want. And people say a lot of ridiculous things in New York. Don't Say Gay isn't one of them.
10: We're targeting Fort Lauderdale, Jacksonville, Orlando, Tampa, and West Palm Beach. Uh, we believe we're going to get about five million impressions, and they're going to be up for an eight-week period, period celebrating the diversity and acceptance of new york city
6: the mayor says the billboards are donated and the project won't cost new york city taxpayers anything the billboards are up from april 4th to may 29th ntd reached out to the florida governor's office for comment
0: but hasn't heard back before airtime children under five in the big apple have to wear masks in schools while older ones don't and it doesn't look like that's going to change anytime soon despite previous statements from the mayor. In March, the mayor said that kids under the age of five would soon be able
6: to go to school without masks. But that decision changed, so young kids will have to continue wearing masks in school.
10: We're going to pivot and shift as COVID is pivoting and shifting. There's a new variant. The numbers are increasing. We're going to move at the right pace, and that's the role I must do.
6: Right now, New York City is seeing almost 1,400 COVID-19 cases per day based on a seven-day average. That's twice as much as a month ago, but still not nearly as high as in winter during the Omicron peak. The city's health commissioner explained the decision not to unmask kids under five, saying, we are making decisions safely, in stages, and guided by the data on what we know is happening now and from prior waves. On Friday, the commissioner explained why the decision to mask kids under five was made in the first place.
2: We have no licensed vaccine product for anyone under five, and they remain our most vulnerable population amongst our most vulnerable population.
6: According to Statista.com, ages zero to four make up the smallest number of COVID cases in New York as of late March. The health commissioner also said that cases will continue to rise and the city will move into a different level of overall risk.
0: The union that represents Amazon workers has demanded the company start bargaining in early May and cease any changes to employment terms at their warehouse in the meantime.
13: The first union of Amazon warehouse workers in history isn't wasting time. Just a day after forming, it sent a letter to the e-commerce giant demanding it begin contract negotiations next month. In the meantime, it said Amazon must, quote, cease and desist any changes to work policies at their New York City warehouse. That's according to a press release posted on Twitter late Saturday night saying, quote, workers denounce any attempt by Amazon to delay our hard-won right to bargain collectively. The union also asserted that Amazon must respect each worker's legal right to union representation during disciplinary meetings. Amazon did not immediately comment.
0: Country singer Eric Church is giving a free concert in a city near San Antonio, Texas for people who purchased tickets to last Saturday's show. That's after canceling his Saturday show because he wanted to see North Carolina play against Duke in the college basketball's Final Four. The show will be held in September for people who originally purchased tickets for Saturday's show, according to Yahoo. People reportedly were refunded for their tickets after the show was cancelled. Church was born in North Carolina and describes himself as a lifelong Carolina fan. They played against Duke, their longtime rival. Carolina won the semifinal game and is scheduled to play in the final against Kansas tonight. Inflation is hitting everyone, including small farmers who sell at farmers markets. They're getting burned at both ends. Costs are rising. But what they can charge for produce is limited because they're competing with grocery stores. We visited a Chicago farmer's market, which just kicked off the first day of its 2022 season. NTD's Sean Marshall brings us the story.
11: Farmers who sell at farmer's markets compete with grocery stores. While for in-season produce, they may be cheaper, other items could be more expensive. Shoppers don't mind because it's fresh and local. But with inflation, farmers are struggling to strike a balance between sustaining their livelihood and setting a price that won't scare away shoppers. Alex Finn, who owns a cattle ranch in Michigan, faces two significant cost increases.
5: We supplement the animals with non-GMO also has gone up to the roof as 40% more, just the feed. And our butcher, our butchering costs also went up, that went 20% up, just in butchering costs.
11: Butchering costs are primarily made up of the fuel cost for transporting live animals to a USDA butcher in Illinois. To recoup the higher fuel cost, Finn had to raise the price of her ground beef by $1 a pound from $10 in 2021 to $11. That's generally more expensive than similar products in grocery stores. Steve Freeman from Nichols Farm says the fuel cost increase hurts his farm the most, but they can't raise prices because of competition with grocery stores.
1: It's very hard to raise it. You know, from our $3 a price pound to $4 a pound, when you know, if the grocery store goes up by 10%, it goes from, you know, $0.69 cents to $0.75. Cents. So it's hard to raise that by very much.
11: Renee Gelder, the owner of a fruit farm, was very lucky. She and her husband bought a full year of diesel at $3 per gallon in February when there was a big sale. But she's not so lucky with the packaging cost. She has to forego selling five-pound jars of honey because the price of the glass jar almost tripled.
12: We have usually
9: five-pound jars of honey up on the shelf. The jars went up $5.12 each, and I'm not sure if I want to pass that along to the consumer.
11: It's important to keep reasonable prices at farmer's markets. Mandy Moody from Green City Market, the organizer of this market, says farmers' markets are vital to farmers' survival.
8: When you come to the farmers' market, the farmer is earning 100% of that sale. And so it's really, really important to their livelihoods.
11: So far, the farmers are keeping customers happy. And some items were sold out within a couple of hours. Sean Marshall, and TD News.
0: Besides car prices, the costs of repairs and gas are going up car insurance is going up, too. Car owners are now paying hundreds of dollars more per year to insure their ride compared to before the pandemic. NTD's Phil Zoe has the story.
7: Your typical driver will be paying an average of $1,800 for car insurance this year. That's according to a new report from Bankrate. That's $100 higher than last year and a whopping $700 higher than before the pandemic in 2019. I spoke to auto industry expert Lauren Fix, also known as the car coach. The main reason for the increase of insurance across the board is the cost of the repair parts, the repair itself, of course, and labor costs. As rates go up across the board, everything is going to get more expensive. The cost of a new car is up 12% from last year, averaging $46,000. For used cars, the bump is even higher with a 40% hike averaging nearly $30,000 for a used car. And don't forget to shop around. You are not committed to stay with that insurance company. If you're going to get higher rates, shop around, use online locations. You can contact your insurance broker and see if they can find you a better rate. Fix says one way to reduce insurance is taking driver's education classes. If you've got points on your license for something you've been speeding or doing something incorrect, you can reduce those points, which will reduce your insurance. GAS PRICES HIT A RECORD $4.33 BACK IN MARCH. RIGHT NOW IT'S AVERAGING AROUND $4.22. PHIL ZO, NTD NEWS.
0: COMING UP, AN UPDATE ON THE MASS SHOOTING IN SACRAMENTO THAT KILLED SIX AND WOUNDED 12 YESTERDAY. FIND OUT MORE AFTER THE BREAK. Southwest Airlines is letting customers rebook flights this weekend after a planned system outage. The airline announced flight disruptions and delays Saturday nationwide after it paused service. Southwest says the problem was caused by an intermittent technology issue. Because of this, those impacted by the disruption and those who had flights booked with the airline Sunday can rebook without any additional charges. They have 14 days to choose a new flight, but they can only travel to and from their original chosen cities. Passengers can also travel on standby. Police have arrested what they called a related suspect in the shooting that occurred in California's capital city of Sacramento yesterday. Six people were killed and 12 wounded in Sacramento's second mass shooting this year. NTD's Arlene Richards has the update.
5: Sacramento police announced an arrest Monday in the shooting that killed six people and wounded 12 others as at least two shooters fired more than 100 rounds. The burst of rapid-fire gunshots sent people running in terror in the neighborhood just a few blocks from Golden One Arena, home of the NBA's Sacramento Kings. Police said they booked D'Andre Martin, 26, as a related suspect on charges of assault with a deadly weapon and illegally carrying a loaded gun. Detectives and SWAT team members found one handgun during searches of three homes in the area. Earlier, police reported that gunfire broke out around 2 a.m. Sunday, just several blocks from the city's Capitol building. According to the Sacramento Fire Department, at least four of the victims suffered critical injuries, and at least seven had been released from hospitals by Monday. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York.
0: And in international news, it seems testing positive for COVID isn't bad enough for children in China. They were put in quarantine without their parents because policy in Shanghai says they have to be separated. The youngest seen was not even two months old. Parents are less than happy. TD's Don Ma has a story.
14: Just how strict is China's zero-COVID policy? If you're a parent and you test negative, but your child tests positive... Chinese authorities will forcibly separate you from your child and put them in a quarantine facility without you. This is what's happening to many parents in Shanghai amid the lockdown. China expert and host of Epoch TV's China Insider David Zhang says it's inhumane.
7: I think it's absolutely devastating for things like these to be happening in China. Lockdowns in China have turned into a, a secondary humanitarian crisis.
14: Sources say authorities had taken away hundreds of small children, all of them quarantined separate from their parents. They're put in Shanghai's Jinshan district. People call it Jinshan Infant Quarantine Facility. Videos and photos circulating online show what it looks like there. A photo shows three babies packed in one bed. And rows of beds are lined up in a lobby with many kids. Very few have adults with them. A mother had the chance to get into this quarantine site. According to her, some kids are only two years old. Even a 58-day-old baby was taken away from its parents and placed here alone. And hygiene conditions are terrible. She said when babies soil themselves, there's not even a place to go to to wash them. She estimated that upstairs alone, there were about 200 kids, and only 10 nurses were there taking care of them. But why is China going to such extremes to try to get to zero virus cases? David Zhang says it's about Xi Jinping's image.
7: As a totalitarian leader, it's very hard for him to walk back any decisions he's made. Xi Jinping is seeking to get a third term, and if Xi Jinping were to reveal that he failed, then that would be a large mistake for for the uh, opponents to grab onto to try to stop him from getting uh, his third term.
14: As public backlash grows stronger, Shanghai authorities are saying they will improve management and, quote, strengthen communication with the children's parents. Don Ma, NTD News.
0: And the UK's child care and education regulator, Ofsted, is worried about young children's development in the aftermath of the pandemic after it found babies are having difficulty recognizing basic facial expressions. Young children also lack confidence and are more shy in child care settings. And there are reports some children have regressed in terms of independence and self-care skills. This report comes from NTD's Malcolm Hudson.
15: Pandemic restrictions have left their mark on children's development. Two year olds may have spent their entire lives surrounded by adults wearing masks. In a newly released set of reports, Ofsted says it has found that babies are even struggling to recognize and respond to basic facial expressions. Ofsted was exploring how learners have recovered from the loss of education during the pandemic. Children have missed out on having conversations or hearing stories. One childcare provider told Ofsted that young children seem to have spent more time on screens and have started to use accents and voices from programs they've watched. A few providers said that wearing face masks is continuing to have a negative impact on their language and communication skills. The Ofsted Early Years report said children turning two years old will have been surrounded by adults wearing masks for their whole lives and have therefore been unable to see lip movements or mouth shapes as regularly. Ofsted's findings also showed other delays in development. Babies aren't learning motor skills like crawling and walking as quickly as they usually would. Many children lack confidence in group settings and their social skills are less developed. These issues raise concerning questions for how it will impact children in later education. Ofsted's chief inspector Amanda Spielman says, It's clear that the pandemic has created some lingering challenges. I'm particularly worried about younger children's development which, if left unaddressed, could potentially cause problems for primary schools down the line. Primary and secondary school students have also felt the impact of pandemic restrictions. Teachers have noted students have gaps in their knowledge, especially in maths, phonics and writing. But they say that, compared to last term, those gaps are closing. Malcolm Hudson, NTD News, London.
0: Going to France, French President Emmanuel Macron held his first big rally Saturday in his race for re-election, promising the French more progress and solidarity over the next five years. But his campaign has hit a speed bump. The McKinsey scandal continues as several French media reports indicate ties between Macron and the U.S. consultancy firm. French lawmakers are denouncing the sprawling ties between the government and consultancy firms, But it's uncertain how this affair will impact Macron's campaign for re-election. NTD's France correspondent David Vives has more.
3: French media are reporting new ties between President Emmanuel Macron and U.S. consultancy firm McKinsey. According to an investigation by Le Monde newspaper, several employees of the firm have worked as volunteers on Macron's presidential campaign in 2017. A Senate report released last month showed that the French government has spent over £35 million on consultancy firms since 2018. And the report also showed that McKinsey has benefited the most from public contracts, earning over £10 million. The firm has also been accused of avoiding paying corporate tax in France for a decade, and one representative of the firm has been accused of lying about this during a hearing in the Senate. Macron said he was shocked by the tax evasion claim. Last week, Minister of Public Transformation and Service Amélie de Montchalin said the COVID crisis justified the expenses.
5: Yes, the government fully accepts that in these exceptional circumstances, it had to rely on reinforcements. We also accept that we had continued to transform our country to obtain the results as quickly as possible.
3: However, media report Montchalin's husband, has been president of the Boston Consulting Group in France, another consultancy firm named in the Senate report. The Senate report described the ties between the current French administration and the consultancy firms as a sprawling phenomenon.
5: We have a political neutral administration, which is said to be a great servant of the state. Why choose to ignore it to hire external consultants for several thousands of euros a day?
3: The controversy continues just one week ahead of the first round of the presidential election. According to Conservative Group founder and author Rémy Tell, there's a lack of investigation into this issue.
4: So I don't think this McKinsey affair will have an impact, but I think at some point reality will catch up with us and them. I think that on the big crisis to come, well, we might have to go through that to realize that no, these politicians don't mean us any good.
3: Government members are trying to play down the issue. Spokesperson Gabriel Attal said the accusation of conflict of interest is a conspiracy narrative. Macron is still ahead for the presidency election run, with 27 percent of votes in the latest polls. David Ives, NTD News, Paris.
0: And Hungary's Prime Minister Viktor Orban claimed a fourth consecutive win in Sunday's election, as voters dismissed concerns over Budapest's close ties with Moscow.
13: Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban declared victory in Sunday's parliamentary election, where his ruling Fidesz party was on track for its fourth successive landslide since the nationalist leader came to power in 2010. Voters endorsed his vision of a conservative illiberal state and shrugged off concerns over Budapest's close ties with Moscow. Russia's invasion of Ukraine had appeared to upend Orban's campaign in recent weeks, forcing him into awkward maneuvering to explain decades-old business relations with Russia. But he mounted a successful campaign to persuade voters that the six-party opposition alliance of Peter Marquise promising to mend ties with the European Union could drag the country into war. Marquise admitted defeat later on Sunday. Orban's comfortable victory could embolden the 58-year-old, who critics say has sought to cement one-party rule, by overhauling the Constitution, taking control of a majority of media outlets, and staffing key government posts with loyalists. Still, he wins favor with many older, poorer voters who espouse his traditional Christian values. Orban has also emerged as a vocal supporter of anti-immigration policies, and is an opponent of tough energy sanctions against Russia.
0: Coming up next, a chance to see Italian artist Canaletto's most iconic view paintings of Venice. The exhibition is open in London. And a 100-year-old park ranger is finally retiring. She led tours at a Northern California historical park, teaching visitors about World War II. Find out more in just a moment here on NTD News. The National Maritime Museum in London is now playing temporary host to some of artist Canaletto's most iconic view paintings of Venice. The collection comprises extraordinarily detailed portraits of a living city, enlivened with people and boats and images that many viewers are sure to recognize. NTD's Neil Woodrow speaks with the display's curator.
4: You may be familiar with Canaletto's famous paintings of Venice, such as the scenes of the Piazza San Marco and the Grand Canal. A collection of 24 pieces, including two large paintings, are being displayed for the first time away from their ancestral home, Woburn Abbey. Canaletto's Venice Revisited Exhibition has opened at the National Maritime Museum, displaying what's thought to be the artist's largest single commission. They were painted for Lord John Russell, the fourth Duke of Bedford in the 1730s. They have been loaned from Woburn Abbey, currently closed to facilitate a major refurbishment program, where they are normally found in the dining room, in a less than ideal display to view them all, as the lead curator explains.
16: Um, And there, they're sort of stacked three high, um, or mostly, and so a lot of the paintings you can't see very well because they're up very high, and one of the great opportunities that we've had for this exhibition is to bring them all down to eye level, to give them lots of space and gorgeous lighting, so you can really appreciate the detail and the sort of, um, the fascinating, you know, kind of different elements that Canaletto includes in these pictures.
4: The opening painting is one of the larger works of the collection.
16: And it's the large paintings that really are kind of the heroes and the centrepieces of the series. And they focus on Venetian festivals. This particular one is a regatta on the Grand Canal. Um, so the Grand Canal, that's central waterway in Venice. It is the lifeblood that, that sort of runs through the city. This painting, with all its colours, with all its details, is really Venice showing off its maritime prowess, the skill of its gondoliers, racing through the painting.
4: Lord John Russell's visit to Venice was part of the Grand Tour, an educational rite of passage for the wealthy in the 18th century. The 22 smaller paintings within this series are all sorts of scenes depicting everyday life within different locations around Venice. They are well known through various means.
16: I might call the biscuit tin effect. Can let us paintings get Reproduced. I mean, even as early as the 18th century, you have English travelers who, when they come to Venice, say, oh, I want to see what I have seen in Canaletto's, because they have been to stately homes and country houses back in England, they have seen these paintings or they have seen them reproduced as engravings, and they want to go and, and, and see those sites for real.
4: Tourism to Venice has grown tremendously since Canaletto's time. In January 1730, the year before Lord John Russell visited Venice, there were 30 Englishmen in Venice. In 2019, there were 28 million recorded visits to Venice. But this boom has a downside. The
16: large cruise ships have become a kind of flashpoint for sort of local anger. Um, because of the sort of the disturbances that they cause within the water, within the canals, it causes damage to the foundations of the buildings, sort of erodes the lagoon beds. So there's sort of a balance to be struck between what is sustainable tourism and what is potentially damaging.
4: The exhibition closes on the final large painting, depicting an important date for Venice, the Ascension Day Festival, 40 days after Easter Sunday. But in Venice, it's a civic event.
16: nature of this ritual, of this ceremony, is that the Doge of Venice, so the governing ruler of Venice, would go out in his barge, which is the sort of great big um, gold boat that you can see in the sort of middle distance in this composition. Um, that boat sails out to the middle of the Adriatic Sea and the doge drops a gold ring into the water to symbolize the city's marriage to the sea.
4: This sort of festival goes back to the medieval period and is still going strong in the 18th century, which is obviously when this painting was created.
16: It then sort of falls away in the 19th century, but is revived in the 1960s and continues to be celebrated to this day, sort of showing the way that the sea and sort of the the waters of the Venetian lagoon are still central to the city's identity and how it presents itself even in a 21st century context.
4: Catherine says Canaletto is known for views of Venice, but the way he can capture the city is quite unique, the precise detail of the architecture, as well as the sort of crowds and the life that he brings to it. The exhibition runs at the National Maritime Museum till September the 25th. Canaletto was a native Venetian and became one of the most sought-after painters of the city's most beautiful views. Neil Woodrow, NTD News, London.
0: The nation's oldest active park ranger is retiring at the age of 100. She led tours at a Northern California historical park teaching about World War II. NTD's Eileen Nang will tell us more about who she is and her life achievements.
17: The National Park Service announced Thursday that Betty Reed Soskin retired after more than 15 years at the Rosie the Riveter World War II Homefront National Historical Park in Richmond. She celebrated her 100th birthday in September 2021. A middle school in Elsa Bronte honored her by renaming the school after her. In a statement, Soskin said, To be a part of helping to mark the place where that dramatic trajectory of my own life, combined with others of my generation, will influence the future by the footprints we've left behind has been incredible. In 2011, she became a permanent NPS employee. There, she has been leading public programs while sharing her personal remembrances and observations at the Park Visitor Center. Soskin was a civil rights activist and took part in meetings to develop a general management plan for the Homefront Park. She was named California Woman of the Year in 1995. In 2015, she received a presidential coin from Barack Obama after she lit the national Christmas tree at the White House. She was also honored with entry into the congressional record. Glamour magazine named her Woman of the Year in 2018. Rosie the Riveter World War II Homefront National Historical Park will celebrate Soskin's retirement on Saturday, April 16th, in Richmond.
0: And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie A. Cox.